How's everybody today? Let's stand to our feet. I want to pray for us as we begin singing today. Lord Father, we thank you for all that you do. And uh, today we, we pray that as we sing that we will just give, give it our all. That we will uh, put everything that's happened this week and this weekend uh, to the side. And, and just really focus on you this morning today. Love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.
today we're glad you're here this morning and it's our prayer today that that as we sing with every breath that our focus and our attention is pointed to Christ that that we'll give him glory in everything amen so let's keep singing
Good morning. You guys can have a seat for a few minutes. My name is Tanner. I'm the student pastor here. Uh, and if you're new to North Star this morning, I would like to welcome you uh, and, and uh, let you know that we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, this is the portion of the service that we, we take up, our tithe and offering. Uh, and so uh, as you take some time to prepare for that, um, as most of you know, yesterday was serve day. And so um, I've already heard a couple people uh, talk about how, how tired they are and uh, maybe some of us didn't get as much sleep as others, but um, but aside from how that how tired we may be, uh, I hear all of the blessing that that came from uh, being able to to serve the community that we live in, and so uh, just want to say thank you uh, from from all of North Star uh, to you guys, and uh, thank you for giving up a Saturday, uh, a weekend that you could have been uh, maybe a little bit restful, uh, a little bit more restful than you may have been. Uh, and, and thank you for, uh, for serving the Lord uh, first um, because I already can tell that, that, that our community has been blessed uh, because of the, the sacrifice that you did in, in giving up your Saturday. So um, thank you for that. Um, as we uh, go further into the service, uh, sing the next couple songs, uh, let me just pray for us uh, and pray for our offering uh, and, and, and thank God for uh, letting us be in his holy uh, presence this morning. God, I thank you for just the ability to come here uh, to be with you. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to give back to, to the community yesterday in, in, in service. And, and no matter what we did, uh, just knowing that, that your, your presence was where we were yesterday. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we, uh, we give this morning to, uh, uh, in obedience to you uh, as we, we take a step of faith. Uh, and do what you call us to do. Uh, we thank you for the ability to do that. Lord, it's in your holy name that I pray and praise you. Amen.
Thank you guys for worshiping with us. You may be seated. How's everybody today? You good? If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 1 John. Last week we started looking at the book, and uh, towards the end we, we actually started with chapter 5. And uh, the, the last bit of chapter 5 was kind of a summary of 1 John. And so that's what we started with. And so today we're going to be in uh, chapter 1. And we're only going to look at a few, few verses together. And I told the first service that... Um, couple things. One, we're only going to look at a couple verses, so it might, the sermon may not be as long as it normally is. So two, I don't know if you noticed it when you came in, uh, that the entire facility smelled like hamburgers. And so one, shorter verses. So two, if you feel that urge of hunger pains, um, I'm sorry, but hopefully we can get out a little bit earlier. But I didn't think about it because a lot of the People in the first service volunteer at the second service, because so then it didn't really matter what, how how short or how long it was. So I'm sorry for those in the first service because they're probably starving by now. Um, but we had a lot of good projects going on yesterday. One of them was we grilled for uh, the apartments down uh, below us, and so that smell is lingering even today. Um, so maybe you're used to it, and maybe I just reminded you of it. So I'm sorry for that. Um, if you got your Bibles, First John chapter 1, um, as we looked at last week, uh, one of the things that we, we looked at, the reason that John wrote this letter uh, was because some, uh, some of the house churches in and around Ephesus uh, were, were facing some persecution. One, that some of them were being kicked out of the local synagogues because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But then also some of them, some of the believers were, were, had abandoned the faith and said, look, uh, I'm going back to the, the, the teachings of Judaism and because they refused to believe that faith in Jesus Christ was the way to the Father. And we know that, that Jesus' teaching is, is true. And this, the, the main message of 1 John is, is to help the, the believers in and around the house churches of Ephesus to know for certain that they have life in Jesus Christ. Now, when I was uh, preparing this week, uh, one of the things that I thought of was um, one of the greatest upsets in college football in the last decade, in my mind, and, and, and you may have a different opinion, uh, but it, it's, it's got to be Appalachian State when they beat Michigan. Some of you don't really care, um, but some of you may remember that, and that was a big deal because a lot of us have heard of the bigger universities like Michigan, and up until this point, nobody's ever heard of Appalachian State. And this is a little tiny school, and Michigan was actually ranked number five at the time. And they beat them, and it was incredible. And I, I just got to thinking, what did the coach of Appalachian State say to the, the players? What, what was going through his mind when they entered that game? And, and I, I found some, some articles that uh, were written about them. And uh, this is what Coach Jerry Moore of Appalachian State said. He said, Jay, our associate AD, came to me and said that Michigan had contacted him about a game. And my first thought was, you know, yeah, sure, whatever it takes, let's, let's play him. Uh, he said that most people see these games as a, a money game. Uh, a lot of the smaller schools play the bigger universities at the beginning of the season because they share uh, in the income of the, the event. And so a lot for the, the smaller schools, they get a bigger portion than what they normally would have gotten if they would have played any smaller school. So he said a lot of people refer to them as money games. I like to refer to them as opportunity games. And I said, we'll never play them again. We'll go there one time. It's a, it'll be a great opportunity for our school. And it'll be a great opportunity for our guys to do something they'll remember for the rest of their lives. And so right before, right before the game, Coach Moore said to the players, he said, guys, this is a big stadium. Look around, enjoy it, but know that all it is is just a lot more concrete. And I got to look in uh, at that particular game. There was over 109,000 people that, in attendance of that game. Appalachian State Stadium holds just over 16,000. So it's pretty intimidating going into that, that game. And he said, look, all it is is a lot more concrete. He said that 
Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot more people here than we've ever seen, but when it comes to the field, there's only, it's just their 11 versus our 11. So what the coach did in that moment was help the boys realize the reality of this intimidating and heavy situation that, yeah, it, it looks huge, it looks impossible, but when it comes down to it, it was just our 11 against their 11. And I think it's important that we know when it comes to our faith and come to living it out. It's important that we know that we have life in Christ because when we know, knowing brings certainty and certainty brings confidence. It's not that, we, that we're cocky or arrogant. It's that we're confident that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and we can have strength. First uh, John 2.6 says, By this we may know him, that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if you think about it and think about the reality of that verse, he says, if we claim to be followers of Christ, we claim to abide in Jesus, we ought to have a life that backs that up. We ought to walk in the same manner which Jesus walked. And if you think about the reality of that, that's pretty intimidating. We think about Jesus, that Jesus is God and he's perfect, and we ought to measure up to that standard. It seems impossible, but it's important to know that if we know that we're secure in Christ, that we have that confidence, that we can walk in boldness and walk in obedience because of Christ and the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So it's important that we know who we are in Christ. That's the whole reason John's writing. We looked at John, First uh, John, chapter five, verse thirteen. He says, "I'm writing these things so that you who believe know that you have life in Jesus Christ." And so today, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some of the tests, some indicators that we can tell that we can examine ourselves to know that we're in Christ. Second Corinthians, Paul says something similar. He says, 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. He says, test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus is in you? He's given some confidence here. He says, look, Jesus is in you because of your, your faith, because you believe in the name of Jesus. So test yourself. Look at your life and see if the fruit backs up the claim that you have that you abide in Christ. And he says a couple things. When you examine your life, one, you'll find out whether or not you're in Christ. But then two, it may be that he says, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So it's important that we make this practice common among us, that we look at our life and we look at the fruit that we see, or the lack thereof. Because when we examine, we look at our life, and that's, sometimes it's scary. A lot of people don't want to look at their life to see that they're not following Christ. But it's important that we have these conversations so, we, so that we can know for confidence we can, that we have life in Christ and we can walk in boldness and obedience to the commands of Christ. So, First John, we're going to read the first four verses. Follow with me. Verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, that the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and we have heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Before we look at this, let's pray. Father God, thank You so much for giving us Your Word, revealing to us just glimpses of who You are and how we are to conduct our lives. Lord, uh, help us to, to gain clarity from Your Word. And Lord, I pray that in the next several weeks that we can spend time examining our life, looking at uh, the, the path that we're on, Lord, so that we can walk in boldness to, with the gospel. Lord, for those who, who in their examinings don't see the fruit, that they don't see these, these in, indicators of being in Christ, Lord, pray that, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, Lord, that they would yield and surrender their life to you. 
Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, let's, we're going to look at these verses, and I think it's interesting to note how John opens this letter. Last week, we looked at the similarities in how John closes this letter and how he closes the Gospel of John. And it's, it's interesting. It's, it's very similar how he opens this letter and how he opens the Gospel of John. We read in verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning we have heard, which we have heard, we have, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's referring to Jesus. And it's the very same thing in John 1.1. 1, 1. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And God became flesh. He's referring to Jesus. And there's, there's a few things here. One, he says, we. Who is he referring to? Last week, we, we made note that he doesn't uh, name himself. He doesn't uh, address himself in this letter. And so how do we know this is John? Uh, well, we look at the similarities between his writings and also some of the early church leaders uh, as far back as the 2nd century A.D., uh, when referring to this letter, attribute John as the author. So he says we, but not only is he including himself in this, he says we've seen it, we've heard it, we've, we've touched him. He's including the other apostles in this letter. Uh, not, to, not to say that, you know, I didn't, I didn't receive this as a vision. I didn't just, it wasn't just me, but we were there. We were key eyewitnesses of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And he says that which was from the beginning, referring to, to Jesus, that Jesus was with God in the beginning. This is just a validation that the gospel never changes, that it started with Jesus in the beginning, it continues with his life and ministry, and it will continue forevermore, that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not change. In three things, he says, we heard, we've seen, we've touched, we've heard the testimony of Jesus. We've heard the teachings firsthand. We were eyewitnesses. Then he says, we have seen we have uh with our eyes we have looked upon it's it's not something that we just have this special revelation there's a lot of false religions out there that hinge on one man hearing this 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 revelation from that they claim to be from god but this is something that they've actually seen and not just him but some of the other apostles if you just turn the page because it's right next to each other, Second Peter 1.16, Peter has a similar uh, comment. He says in verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. From when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory that says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for which we were with him on the holy mountain. So we see Peter, we see John, and he's declaring to the church that we were there. We've seen him. We've heard him. And then he also says we touched him. If you remember Thomas... Uh, Jesus appears to the disciples, and, and some of them uh, see that it's Jesus, but some of them doubted, Thomas specifically. And it's, Jesus bids him to come and touch his hands and touch his side so that he would believe. And he says, look, we've, we've not only we've seen it, we've heard it, we've, we've touched him, that Jesus has come. And understand the context. Understand why that's important. Because there are a lot of people leaving the church and going back to Judaism. There are a lot of people who were, refused to believe that it was through Jesus that we, have, uh, that we can stand in righteousness before God. So then when we go to verse 2, it says, Concerning the word of life, talking about Jesus, that Jesus is the, the word of life. Verse 2, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. If you remember 1 John 1, in the beginning was the Word and then the Word became flesh. Jesus was with God in the beginning and then God became flesh through His Son, Jesus. And a lot of times we, it's common for, uh, for, for the world and for believers to just kind of throw out the Old Testament. But it, without the Old Testament, the New Testament wouldn't make sense. 
understand that the entire Old Testament points us to Jesus. And Jesus himself makes reference to that. And if you look at Luke, you don't have to turn there. But Jesus, after the resurrection, appears to his disciples and tells them and makes, makes reference to uh, some of the Old Testament teachings about Jesus. Luke twenty four forty four. Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. We see in Scripture in the, the first five books of the, uh, of the Old Testament, some of the law that was written, some of the teaching about holiness was written about Jesus. The, the prophets that prophesied of the coming Messiah was written about Jesus. The, the, the Psalms was written about the coming Messiah was written about Jesus. It points us to Jesus. And so we, again, we look at verse 2. And the life of Jesus was made manifest before them. They saw him. They, they proclaim and testify to the life that, that, that they've heard from when they were young. They grew up hearing the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And now they've actually seen him. That God was, became flesh and was made manifest before him. And so verse 3, we get to verse 3. We're going to spend a little more time here. And this is, this is one of the first purposes we see in the writing of John in this letter to the churches. He says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. One of the reasons that John is writing, because him, along with the other apostles, are longing for the churches to understand the, the benefits of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to understand some of the benefits of having faith in Jesus, that they have fellowship not only with the Father, but with the other apostles, but with the other churches, that they have fellowship together with the body of Christ. The word fellowship is, is most commonly translated uh, in the, as from the word quantania. You may have heard that word before. Uh, and quantania, what that means depends on the context. So uh, quantania is, is used in different contexts, can be a sharing, one, of, of the benefits of the death of and resurrection of Jesus. So we have fellowship with the Lord. It's, we're sharing in the benefits of the death and resurrection of Jesus. If uh, we have fellowship with one another, it means we're sharing uh, financially in the aid of the saints. We see a need uh, that, that's among the body of Christ, and we have fellowship. It means we're sharing, we're participating in fulfilling that need. Also, uh, in some contexts, the quantity is referring to sharing in the suffering of Christ. Uh, Jesus talks to his disciples in John 15. He says, if you abide in me and I in you. And a little bit later, he says that if, if, they, uh, if the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. He said, if, 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 it's, if you're persecuted, it's because of my name. And, and there's, a, there's a reward, there's a, there's a unique glory for suffering uh, for the sake of Christ. And when we have fellowship with the Father, and we suffer for the sake of Christ, there's that, 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 that sharing in the suffering because Christ was also hated and was also persecuted. So when we're talking about Christian quantity and when we're talking about Christian fellowship, we're talking about the shared union that we have together with Christ. Quantania, the fellowship, it's that shared union that we have together with Christ. The common ground among all of us as believers is the Father, that we have that relationship with the Father. And because of that relationship with the Father, that we can have this, uh, we relate to Him as the Father. We are part of the body of Christ. And so we relate to each other in Christian and holy fellowship. One of the greatest examples we see is is in the book of acts we uh 
a lot to a lot of us that's familiar because after uh, the Holy Spirit came upon uh, believers in Acts, um, they met together. They were the, the early church, they were devoted to the teachings of the apostles. They shared meals together. They shared uh, their lives together. If they saw needs, they, they willingly and gladly gave up their own benefits and their own possessions so that they could contribute and participate in the needs of the saints and o- other believers. And it said they had everything in common. I, th- I think it's important that we understand what that commonality is. Now, they were united under Christ, but uh, Acts chapter 4 actually goes into a little more detail of what that common ground was. It doesn't necessarily mean that because cause I'm tall and I've got black hair and I've got brown eyes and you have the same thing, that means we've got everything in common. It's not personality traits. It's not characteristics. It's, it's not what he was referring to. In Acts chapter 4, It says now that the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. So they were united under Christ because of their faith in Jesus. And it says that no one said that any of these things that belonged to them was his own. But they considered everything they had. But they had everything in common. So that phrase, they had everything in common, is paired right after the phrase that says no one said that any of the things that they belonged to him was his own. They, they didn't consider the possessions of their own was, was, was their own. It wasn't like they, it was my house, my clothes, my food, my possessions. No, if they saw a need, they were willing and gladly giving that up for the sake of the needs of the believers that they had fellowship with. That's what it meant for them. That's what fellowship meant for these believers. You know, it's, this is different than the world. The world says, look, I'm going to take care of my own first. And then if there's any left over, I may have pity on somebody else. But Christian fellowship puts the needs of others above their own. We look at verse 3. It says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I, I want to make a, a note here that it's important that we recognize in, in light of the context of this passage and what was going on. It's important that John included fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Remember why he's writing. Remember that he's writing because of the, the persecution, because of their belief in Jesus, because there were many Judaizers who, belie- who refused to believe that Uh, Salvation came through faith in Jesus. If you look at chapter 2, just a page over, verse 23, he says, No one who denies this, uh, he says, No one, uh, he says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. It's through Jesus, it's through the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. What did Jesus say? He said, if you receive me, you receive the one who sent me. And nobody comes to the Father except through the Son. So you can see because of the reason he's writing to this specific context, uh, the specific people, the, the importance that he includes there in verse 3, that the fellowship is with the Father, but it's also with the Son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's, it's more common for us as believers because we center our worship service around the name of Jesus. So sometimes it's more, it's, we use those inseparable when we're talking about the Father and talking about Jesus. But there are a lot of people in our town where there are a lot of people in our country who claim allegiance to God but reject Christ. So it's important that we notice that and we make mention of that. So two things here he mentions as far as fellowship. We have fellowship uh, with the Lord, and we have fellowship with believers. He says that we wish that you have fellowship with us, but then our fellowship is with the Father uh, and Jesus Christ. So one, one thing, fellowship is relational. It's important we understand that. It's, it's relational, that any way to grow in fellowship with whether it's with God or with uh, the body of Christ, is that we've got to see that through relationships. And how do you grow in fellowship? Well, you've got to cultivate your relationships. 
How do we grow in fellowship? We've got to cultivate our relationships. This is, this is true in our family. It's true with our marriages. It's true for uh, people we work with. If we want to grow in fellowship, we've got to work at it. We've got to cultivate the relationships with people. So uh, understanding that we relate to God as his children, that we've been adopted into his family. And since we have that relationship with Christ, since we're, we've been adopted into his family under one name and one body, we now relate to each other as brothers and sisters. And what's, what's painful is that sometimes we don't always treat each other like that. Sometimes, sometimes fellowship in the church is good, and then we're... we're, we're we're, we're working as a unified body and we're, we're, we have harmony within the, the body of Christ, but that's not always the case. So it's important if we want to grow in fellowship with each other, we've got to cultivate that. We've got to work on that. Now, it's not realistic, it's not practical for us, everyone in this room, this is a pretty good sized room, for us to have a deep, growing rela- relationship with everybody, that we know everything about everybody. That's not really practical. But it's important that we treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we may have different opinions about other people. We may have different interests. But what unites us is that relationship with Christ. And because you have a relationship with Christ, because you have a relationship with Christ, I can live in harmony with you. I can, can maybe overlook some of the things that we don't have in common, where, whether it's characteristic or personality traits, but we can have harmony and unity under that relationship with Christ. One of the church leaders in our, our, our modern day said that fellowship is a mutual bond that Christians have that puts us in deep relationship with one another. It's not that we see each other and we try to run from you. We don't, we don't relate to one another as strangers, but because we have that relationship with the body of Christ, we can treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes you see somebody, whether it's at the grocery store or maybe it's at another store, and you see them and your, your innate um, reaction is to run the other way. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's because you don't like that person. But it, sometimes that happens in the church. You come here on a Sunday morning and you see someone across the hall and then you decide to dart in the other direction. And it, look, we, we're going to have differences. Uh, we're all sinful. So there are going to be times that we, we don't agree with one another. But that shouldn't, um, that shouldn't uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That shouldn't um, impact the way you treat somebody because at the end of the day, if they're faithful uh, followers of Christ, they're sons and daughters of the king, just like you are. So, so that should motivate you to establish peace and to walk in harmony with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So, a couple implications, really just one that I want to kind of talk about in the next just a few minutes, is that because that's how we relate to the Father, and because we have that relationship with each other as the body, we are in one body, we are in one spirit. How do we participate? How do we share in the needs of the saints? And, you know, looking at Scripture, there's a lot of illustrations of how we give up our possessions and our, and our time and our resources so that we can help other people in need. But in light of this book in the light of this chapter, and we're going to look uh, next week on how we are to relate to sin. I think one of the, the biggest influences that Satan has in our life is to get us to start to believe that Jesus is not enough. When we begin to sin, we have sin in our life, it's because we come to the point in our life, whether we really realize that or not, uh, anytime we have idols or, or have sin in our life, it's because we come to the understanding that Jesus is simply not enough. And that's one of the, the ways the enemy, Satan, gets into our life and tries to deceive us. Isn't that the same way that he tried to tempt Jesus in Matthew 4 to, to try to get him to not go to the cross? One of the things he said is, that, look, I'll give you everything if you just bow down and worship me. It's the same in our life, that when it comes to sin and when it comes to idols in our life, that Satan's issue with us is to get us to believe that there's something out there that's better than Jesus. So one way that we can participate in the body of Christ 
is that we help each other, that we encourage one another to continue in our walk with Christ. That we continue in, in this fight, in this struggle, that we continue to believe that Jesus is better, that Jesus is everything that we need, and that we help that, that our, the relationships that we have are a means to help our brothers and sisters to not fall into the temptations of sin. It's one of the, I think that's one of the best things we can do. Yeah, we can meet needs when they, they happen. Uh, if, they're, if they're financial needs, if, they're, uh, if, if people need certain possessions, that we see that and we, we meet needs where we can. But deeper than that, I think it's important that we encourage one another, that we lift one another up. Hebrews 3 tells us this. He says, but exhort one, ex- exhort one another every day as long as, it, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins purpose of us encouraging each other to continue to fight, to continue to strive so that we aren't deceived by sin. And so we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Do you know what this kind of fellowship communicates? It communicates that we're real, that we, are, that we have an authentic relationship with the Lord that, that we've come to believe in Christ. Because those who are not in the faith, those who are not in the body of Christ, will not have that attitude. They will not have that desire to exhort and, extort, uh, and encourage and lift each other up in Christ to continue in their life, in their walk in Jesus, to be bold in their faith. So participating in this fellowship is, is, is this first example that we see uh, in First John, as evidence that we have life in Christ. And then at the end, it says in verse four, it says, "And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete." He just said, "We proclaim to you that Jesus has come." He says that that we hope that you have fellowship with us as we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. He says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And some manuscripts actually say, your joy. So whichever it is, I'm not exactly sure because uh, of just the the copying of of Scripture. It could be that the apostles' joy, but it could be our joy. That as we uh, cultivate the relationship that we have with the Lord, but then also cultivate the relationships that we have with each other, we do this for our joy. So let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for, Lord, the opportunity to look at your word. Lord, I pray that um, this will sink deep in our life. Lord, help us to, to walk in obedience and help us to encourage one another to continue. Lord, whether it's, uh, whether it's just as simple as helping somebody through um, just a certain time in their life, Lord. Maybe somebody's walking through some painful stuff in their life and they just need uh, that other brother or sister to come alongside of them, to encourage them to, that, to trust in you, to keep trusting that you have, have plans for us, that you love us, that you haven't forsaken us. Lord, I, I believe there's, there's a lot of people, a lot of believers who are walking around discouraged, who are not stepping out in boldness. Lord, and so Lord, through your divine provisions and providence, I pray that you would send somebody, maybe it's somebody in this room, to, 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 whether it's a phone call or a text this week, Lord, to bring encouragement, to keep going, to not give up. The calling that you've placed on our life to, to make disciples, the calling that you've placed on our life to proclaim the kingdom of God, Lord, is too great for us to give up, Lord. The reality is that there are people who are going to die and live eternity separated from you, Lord. Give us the, the boldness, knowing that we have life in your name, to lift up and encourage our brothers and sisters so that we can stay on task be faithful to the calling you've placed in our life. We love you. We just ask this in your name. Amen.